It's Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, from a 3D bioprinter for human tissues to pumpkin spice cappuccinos, here's the cargo being delivered on board the SS Sally Ride tomorrow to the International Space Station. Plus, this time, it's not just in your head. The New York Times really is making some small changes to Wordle. And a puzzle expert has some practice tips for winning the daily game. And Netflix has a new interactive trivia game. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. A Northrop Grumman Cygnus cargo spacecraft is due to arrive at the International Space Station tomorrow, Wednesday the 9th. Dubbed the SS Sally Ride, this is Northrop Grumman's 18th resupply mission to the ISS as part of NASA's commercial cargo program. Following a scrubbed launch on Sunday due to a fire alarm at the Mission Operations Control Center, the Antares rocket launched early Monday morning from NASA's Wallops Flight Facility in Virginia. This cargo spacecraft is carrying over 8,200 pounds of research and science gear, as well as some treats for the crew of the ISS, which, according to the space station's official Twitter account, includes fresh fruit, ice cream, peanut butter, cheeses, olives, and even pumpkin spice cappuccinos. Man, they will be dining nice tomorrow. But besides those pumpkin spice cappuccinos, the scientific equipment being delivered is also pretty fascinating. On board the spacecraft is a constellation of three CubeSats, collectively called BIRDS-5, which will be deployed after arriving at the space station. And those three CubeSats include the first satellites developed by Uganda and Zimbabwe, as well as an additional satellite developed by Japan. The BIRDS program is really cool. It's run by the Kyushu Institute of Technology in Japan in association with students from Uganda and Zimbabwe, and its mission is taking the first steps towards creating an indigenous space program by designing, building, testing, launching, and operating the first satellites for participating nations. The satellites currently on their way to low Earth orbit in particular will collect data that could help distinguish bare ground from forest and farmland, possibly even indicating the quality of agricultural growth, all findings that could help improve the livelihood of residents in Uganda and Zimbabwe. With this delivery of research equipment, the ISS astronauts will also be supporting a study on the epigenetic changes that plants undergo while in space to better inform which plants to choose for future space missions and how to better care for them. And like most plant studies in space, the findings will also help us develop or adapt crops in more extreme conditions on Earth. Another project on this resupply mission is called OVOSPACE. Sponsored by NASA and the Italian Space Agency, it will be examining the effects of microgravity on bovine cell cultures. NASA notes that living for prolonged periods of time in reduced microgravity environments could impair fertility, so this research will help prepare us for potential human settlement in space, but its findings could also help Earthside to improve fertility treatments in general. Pretty much all of the scientific investigations that will be supported by this particular resupply mission are to assist with research that will benefit us here on Earth, in addition to or more so than space. 
For example, another experiment will be studying mud flows, which are becoming more common as wildfires pick up in frequency and intensity. Quoting NASA, When a wildfire burns plants, it creates a thin layer of soil that repels rainwater. Rain then erodes the soil and can turn into catastrophic mud flows that carry heavy boulders and debris downhill, which is dangerous to humans and causes significant damage to infrastructure and watersheds, end quote. Now, why study this in space? As the mission page explains, the structure and flow of mudflows is still not well understood. By studying the water, sand, and air components in microgravity, the researchers hope to better understand the formation and behavior of slurries as they move and evolve, which will better inform our predictions for the spread and velocity of mudflows as they occur naturally on Earth. And finally, one of the coolest experiments, in my opinion, will be the return of the Biofabrication Facility, or BFF. This 3D bioprinter has already done a tour of the ISS. Back in 2019, it successfully printed a partial human knee meniscus and a number of human heart cells. Now it is back with new capabilities and will be continuing its research into printing human tissue, working towards its ultimate goal of one day 3D printing entire human organs in space. Now again, the question is, why in space? In this case, it's because some of the particulars of 3D bioprinting on Earth are actually very tricky, and one promising workaround is microgravity. Quoting the NASA mission page, Scientists struggle to overcome the challenge of fabricating the complex network of tiny void spaces found in organs, such as capillary structures. Conventional 3D bioprinting uses hydrogel as a means of growing new tissue from existing patient cells. Hydrogel is typically printed at ambient temperatures, where its viscosity is relatively low. And later, during the culturing of the tissue, the temperature of the hydrogel is raised, increasing its viscosity considerably. Under Earth's gravity, the initial low viscosity creates the need for scaffolding, or a support structure, to form the desired shape of the tissue. Most conventional scaffolding is not designed to support these smaller and more complex shapes found in vascular or lymph node pathways. Scientists have also explored cross-linking polymers within the hydrogel to guide new tissue growth. However, those cross-linking agents that can work within the time frame needed to successfully guide tissue growth have proven toxic to the existing cells. Microgravity provides a potential third solution to printing complex organ structures, as minimal gravity removes the need for scaffolding structures to support complex tissue shapes. BFF is used in conjunction with existing TechShot bioreactor cassettes, which hold the printed tissues for several weeks after initial printing, allowing the tissues to cohesively form on a cellular level. End quote. It's kind of wild, the huge scope of projects in which gravity just gets in the way. And now we've got this orbiting lab where we don't have to worry about pesky gravity. But in other NASA news, guess what might be delayed again? Last Friday, the Artemis 1 rocket was rolled back to the launch pad in anticipation of its next launch attempt this coming Monday the 14th, but yesterday afternoon, NASA announced that they are currently monitoring the storm forecast as subtropical storm Nicole approaches the area near the Kennedy Space Center. 
As of last night, the Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida, was in Hurricane 4 status, the lowest level of the agency's hurricane condition alert scale. Hurricane 4 is an initial notification and preparedness phase that goes out 72 hours prior to 50-knot sustained winds. And at this phase, the agency runs through organization-specific checklists, makes sure vehicles are fueled up, and confirms their rideout team personnel. At 48 hours out, they could move into Hurricane 3, which would include securing facilities. At Hurricane 2 and Hurricane 1, the Space Center could close with all personnel either sent home or sheltering in place. At this point, however, NASA says the rocket and spacecraft are remaining on the launch pad with intentions to try for the November 14th launch. About an hour before recording, however, a hurricane warning was issued in parts of Florida and Georgia as Nicole was designated a tropical storm, but we'll still have to wait and see how it all develops. It's tempting to say this Artemis launch is cursed, it really does feel like it sometimes, but this really is just par for the course once we get into hurricane season. It is very unfortunate that the launch didn't happen back in August, because conflicting with hurricane season is exactly what they were trying to avoid, but at this point it is pretty much out of their hands. One day, maybe, Artemis 1 will finally fly. But until then, at least all the astronauts on the ISS are keeping busy with their very cool microgravity experiments. When the New York Times acquired the viral game Wordle at the start of this year, there were a lot of claims that the newspaper had made the game more difficult. Now, as I covered before, that was not true. In fact, the opposite kind of was. Wordle was invented by Josh Wardle, originally just as a game for his partner and then other family and friends, and as such, the original bank of 2,500 five-letter words that were programmed into the guessing game he created were curated by him and his partner, Palak Shah. Essentially, Shaw went through a giant list of those words and crossed out any that she herself didn't know. But when the New York Times acquired the game, they removed even more words, ones which they thought might be too obscure, and also a few that could be taken as inflammatory. So technically, the New York Times made Wordle even easier. But yesterday, the Times announced that they have just hired a Wordle editor. Instead of that original word list, words will now be curated by Tracy Bennett, who's worked as an associate puzzle editor at the Times since 2020. And here's what they said in their announcement, quote, The game will have a Times-curated word list and will be programmed and tested like the spelling bee and the crossword. Wordle's gameplay will stay the same, and answers will be drawn from the same basic dictionary of answer words with some editorial adjustments to ensure the game stays focused on vocabulary that's fun, accessible, lively, and varied. End quote. If you're still a regular player of Wordle like me, here's the big thing to know there will no longer be plural versions of three- and four-letter words that end in E-S or S. So the correct answer will never be a word like foxes or spots, but it could be a pluralized word like fungi or geese. Of course, you can still use one of those words as a guess if you think it will help narrow down your options, but just know that it won't ever be the correct answer. 
And if you are looking for ways to up your strategy in Wordle, physician and puzzle columnist Pradeep Mutalik shared some food for thought in Quanta Magazine last month. Rather than offering up tips and hacks, Mutalik laid out some interesting aspects of the gameplay and provided open-ended questions and prompts for you to consider yourself. Most of it is very specific to Wordle power users, so I'll leave the link in the show notes for anyone interested to pursue at their leisure, but I did want to tease out a couple of interesting takeaways. First, Metallic shares how nicely Wordle ties into information theory, how each move presents a chance to find a mathematically calculable best choice or choices, and how folks have already ranked all possible starting words according to how many turns it would take to arrive at every word on the now-defunct official Wordle list. And according to those, computers take an average of 3.4 turns to solve all possible Wordles. But, Metallic points out crucially, quote, People are not computers. Most humans cannot calculate every possibility, relying instead on intuition, general principles, and rules of thumb to do their best. Some tasks that are easy for computers are hard for humans, such as making a list of all possible outstanding words. This means that information theory solutions cannot be directly transferred to humans. We need to take human psychology, cognitive preferences, and shortcomings into account in order to fashion good strategies. End quote. And one way that humans are different from computers is that we tend to use vowel-heavy starting words to think about the word structure using vowels as the skeleton, as Metallic puts it, whereas computers say that the best starting words are ones like stare or slate. This is actually good news for me because my starting word is tears, T-E-A-R-S, and that's just stare in a different order, although maybe I should try out stare for more optimal results. According to the New York Times' WordleBot, which sounds like a very cool product that is basically like a Wordle coach analyzing your gameplay and helping you improve, but which I have never tried because it's behind a paywall, the most common starting word, which 7% of people use, is ado. The next most popular starting words are audio and raise. What's funny about ado, though... A-D-I-E-U, the French word for goodbye, as useful as it is in getting a lot of the vowels out of the way, ado isn't even on the Wordle list. You could never get the Wordle in one shot if you use ado as your starter. But that was then. Now we live in the new era of times-curated Wordle words. And this is something that I assume Metallic will be enthusiastic about because he ended his Wordle article talking about the pitfalls of the fixed Wordle list. The list, which again, Wardle and Shaw came up with and the Times lightly edited to remove particularly obscure words, is not randomized, at least not on a day-by-day basis. It is a 2,309 word list that gets published in a fixed order, which means, as Metallic points out, quote, once a word is used, it will not appear again for five years. So when the words theme and time, T-H-Y-M-E, came up within a few days of each other, players who were just missing the middle letter in T-H-blank-M-E in the later Wordle knew exactly what the answer was. And if you keep track of which words have been used, the list of potential future solutions will shrink with every passing day. End quote. 
Now, I would argue that this is just part of the strategy. You know, if you can remember that a certain word has been used before, then you know not to guess it. But I suppose that does give an unfair advantage to people who've been playing for a long time, have photographic memories, keep track of their Wordle plays in a Notion database they could easily search like I do, although it never occurred to me to actually search back until now, or people who simply hack the code to see the whole list. But no more. The Times wasn't specific on whether there will be repeats or how many more words might be added, but ye old fixed Wordle list seems to be a thing of the past. Although, don't worry, we won't be seeing words like Ali, A-A-L-I-I, and R-T, A-A-R-T-I, some of the 15,000 possible five-word options that, as Metallic says, only tournament Scrabble players actually know. The Times assures us that words will still be drawn from the same basic dictionary of English words as the original list. Basic dictionary, not Scrabble version. So Netflix, leaning ever more into interactive content, launched a new feature today called Triviaverse. It's not tied to any existing show, it is a straight-up trivia game that you can play as one player or against another person. And I gotta say, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. It's a quick game, just three rounds of a minute each. The rounds get increasingly more difficult, and each question is multiple choice or true or false. So it feels a little bit like who wants to be a millionaire at times, especially with the dark blue interface and suspenseful music that speeds up as you progress along. The questions run the gamut from history to pop culture to science and general knowledge. For example, I got questions on Asian elephants, the Occupy protests, Alexander the Great, and Pablo Neruda. It keeps track of your previous games so you can beat your last score and even has streak information and tells you which categories you're strongest and weakest in. Shamefully, after playing twice, my weakest round was books. You also unlock different challenges based on your score, but these challenges just seem to be the titles that you earn for hitting different score levels. They start at Bird Brain for 1,000 points and proceed every 500 points to Preschool Graduate, Lucky Guesser, Shockingly Average, Mere Mortal, PhD Dropout, and Super Nerd. There's three more levels after that, but I don't know what they are yet because I haven't scored high enough yet. But in any case, it's pretty fun. It's available globally in multiple languages and on any devices that support Netflix interactive experiences. So computers, mobile devices, smart TVs, gaming consoles, etc. Could be a fun thing to play if you're waiting for the rest of your household to be ready for movie nights or just on your computer in the middle of a workday, like I did. <laughs> but that's it from me for today. This show was pretty Produced by Ride Home Media, I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.